Okay, well, welcome to AI Ideas. And uh, I'm joined today by James Yu of Pseudorite. Did I say that right? That is correct, yes. And uh, why uh, don't you start by telling us what, what that is and, and how you you and your partner came about to create it, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Grant, for having me on. Um, yeah, so Pseudorite is an AI companion for narrative writers or fiction writers. Um, so the way we think about it is it's kind of like having um, a critique partner or a collaborator uh, that is along the way uh, of your journey, writing your novel, screenplay, short story, poem, uh, anything that sort of has a narrative component, that is our sweet spot. And uh, that you will be turning this um, uh, draft into a final publishing uh, published state. Uh, our hope is that Pseudorite it can be a companion uh, along that along that journey. So how would how would you use it? Like, tell me, walk, walk me through what what a user with Pseudorite would do to you to use Pseudorite. Yeah, so it varies a lot. I, I would say our golden path of usage right now is when you're blocked. Uh, so when you're when you encounter writer's block, maybe you go for a walk, maybe you read some other passage in a book to help you, maybe you talk to a friend. Uh, and some a lot of our uh, writers uh, just talk to Pseudorite, quote unquote, talk to Pseudorite. Uh, so they would basically give a passage of their work in progress and ask. And what Pseudorite will come back with is four or five different options of the next paragraph or the next sort of plot point uh, that could be interesting. Uh, and it analyzes sort of the, the tone of your uh, your work, the characters are in it, uh, the prose style. Uh, and tries to match match it. Uh, and so we we think about it as almost like a mirror into your prose, uh, so you can hopefully write more words. Uh, so that is uh, that is a very very typical use case. But I, I think we have a lot of other functions as well, uh, things like to help you with descriptions, to help you with characters, um, to help you come up with twists or plot points um, as well. Or even to rewrite passages uh, if you think a passage is feeling a little dull or feeling like it needs a little bit more lush descriptions, uh, it can also help there. Uh, but I would say a lot of you are users also vary in how they use our AI. Um, every everything from just getting started all the way down to hey, you're in your penultimate draft and you're doing a lot of wordsmithing. Uh, we can we have we have facilities to help. Uh, with all parts of that drafting process. Okay, so one thing I'm realizing as you're discussing this is I have not actually covered on this show yet the like standard way that these text processing um, softwares, what, softwares, do people say that phrase softwares? These very, <laughs> these very GPT-3 and uh, Lambda and all of their all of their cousins. I haven't explained how they work yet on the show in terms of pattern recognition and how you can have them sort of at different heat levels and different flavors. Mm -hmm. I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't ask you to do that. Can you very briefly explain uh, how how those things work for someone who has heard of GPT-3 or read a news story that Lambda was sentient, but doesn't actually know mm -hmm. how those things right. work. <laughs> uh, well, first off, they are not sentient. <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> I we, can assure you. We, we, we agree on this. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Uh, I, yeah, sort of. A, yeah, well, maybe it starts. It's a good to start at the high level, which is what is the goal of all of these large language models? And in a very general way, a general way to talk about it is that the goal of these language models is that it takes in a piece of text. Let's say it's a uh, 500 words or so, and its its only goal is to output sort of the next few words or next few paragraphs as if if you are a human reader reading the entire uh, uh, the entire piece, including the appended piece by the AI, AI, that it would be perceived to you as one author. Uh, mm. That if you had found this piece of text that includes the AI text appended, you would not blink. You would say, oh, this is one cohesive piece of writing. Uh, so that could be for an email that you're sending, uh, or it could be for you know part of a chapter of a short story, uh, of a novel, um, or a screenplay, and it's very pliable in the sense that it can these these uh, the, these new modern uh, language models that can work on almost any piece of human text because it's trained on billions and billions of pieces of text um, across the internet as well as many books. GPT three has I think I want to like hundreds of billions of different parameters. Um, so that's a very high level the the goal. So now that we understand the goal. Um, how does it actually do that? Uh, I mean, you can think about these things as a, some people say, call it like a stochastic parrot uh, underneath the hood, which means that it is very good at uh, understanding the patterns of which it's trained. So it's trained in all these texts, like from Fifty Shades of Grey to, you know, uh, a random Reddit comment to YouTube. So it's seen kind of the sort of the cultural artifacts <laughs> that we have produced as humanity, like a large chunk of it has run through its neural network and is able to make these connections between words or what actually under the hood looks at them as tokens, which are not actually words. They will divide some of these words into uh, pieces that, you know, if you were to look at them as a human, it would be inscrutable, but it can understand these patterns of tokens that it's seen in the, out in the world. And given the prior, given this piece of text, these 500 words that you're giving it, it can try to predict um, the next tokens that will come out of it. Um, and in, so in that way, you can think of it as like a very ultra magical autocomplete that goes yeah. way beyond like an iOS uh, style, like iPhone autocomplete. Um, and so you've also probably have seen this in Gmail too, and some Google Docs has started integrating this smart autocomplete. Um, and you can think of GPT-3 and its, uh, and its cousins as uh, that, but you can go even further, maybe like 500 words or so. Um, and with the intent is as very general. So that's the other thing about these language models uh, that are coming out. They're very general, they're not only for one specific domain. Uh, for example, we use GPT-3 under the hood at Pseudowrite. GPT-3 was not specifically made to write poetry. We're not specifically made uh, to write fiction or your next cyberpunk novel, but it is general enough that it can do pretty well at these tasks, uh, which has, and this is a big innovation in the past couple of years that is, is it on the pathway to general intelligence? Well, I think that's a that's a different topic <laughs> altogether. Uh, but I think it is on the pathway to being able to handle uh, the prediction of general human text that's given. 
Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. The I I am definitely I'm definitely on the case as to whether uh, AI is on the pathway to to general intelligence. <laughs> that's that's something that I am podcasting about. the sh The short answer is no. The long answer is is <laughs> it, it depends. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that's fantastic. I love this idea of stochastic parrot. If you want to, you can think of uh, evolution itself as a stochastic parrot. Uh, mm -hmm. parrot although parrot might have been a freudian slip there um so uh evolution you know when when new organisms are made they're they're copied but there's some sort of randomness if it's something like the virus that we have all been dealing with for the past couple of years the randomness happens with mutations the other way you get randomness is what we call sex right you mix <laughs> You mix mm -hmm. genetics from two different individuals together and you're not really sure how they're going to come together and you get a copy that is different. That's the stochastic mm -hmm. element through the randomness. Now, if you've ever uh, spoken to a three-year-old or asked like a three-year-old to tell a story, they have infinite stochasticity. They, yes. they are less parrots and more random and it's like the mm -hmm. car went to and if you leave it there they're like the spaceship and it's like yeah the car went to the spaceship that doesn't make any sense at yes. all part of learning language as a human is to tone down the sort of you know <laughs> random associations that it seems that kids are making mm -hmm. but i'm guessing yeah, it... <laughs> go ahead go ahead yeah and i have a six-year-old and a three-year-old so i'm very familiar with this uh toddler I... I also have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, actually. Oh, wow. wow. Interesting. <laughs> boy or girl? <laughs> uh, six-year-old girl, three-year-old boy. I am flipped. Yeah. All, yeah. All okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've and I played this uh, sort of storytelling game with GPT three and Pseudowrite with my six-year-old son, and he loves it. Yeah. Right. I mean, because <laughs> you know the kinds of jokes that kids love are the <laughs> jokes that aren't don't aren't necessarily finessed, but they just have this randomness of like you know a walrus showing up in a hot dog yes, stand or something exactly. and, and to adults we're like oh that's just absurdism you know like yeah. good for a cheap laugh but it's definitely not a cheap laugh for them it's a very rich <laughs> laugh <right? laughs> um and so i mean to him it's also interesting to think about because like i think about the wonders of language models and how far we've gone but to my son this is just the normal state of the world this mm. computer can generate text and images to whatever his whims and fantasies and <laughs> and and to hit, i'm like wow don't you think this is wonderful like it's you know this is what you know i've been dreaming about since i was a kid reading these science fiction novels he's like i'm bored now daddy yeah. <laughs> so it's fascinating to think like in the next 20 years when he becomes you know an adult um this is the default state of the world that there are these um sophisticated ai systems that have now approached and maybe exceed human level of understanding. Um, and I think that's actually, so I, I, I always say, I always say that GPT-3 is kind of like a toddler in that way, uh, <laughs> except it, it has sort of infinite historical memory, but it doesn't remember like the last five minutes of what you've talked about. <laughs> and it has like no attention span of like what it will, the, the temperature is very high. Uh, that, that's sort of a term in uh, language model parlance that, hey, it's going to go off the walls, right? right? Um, and I think that is actually a large challenge with these systems. Uh, if you're talking about um, coherency, right? And that's something that we battle a lot uh, at Pseudorite. So how do we um, service our writers so that it is 
the AI is more coherent, understands more elements of the story. It doesn't forget like the gender of their protagonist or uh, it doesn't forget that like, the, the specific character arcs. So I always call that like the trees versus the forest problem. Um, but I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic that that forest problem can be solved. Uh, and, and it's just like Moore's law in that way that, uh, the coherency over longer and longer lengths of text, uh, will, uh, increase. Uh, and we've seen that already from like the early language models like GPT-2 or, uh, even before then, uh, where maybe it's sort of at the sentence level, paragraph level, but now you can get sort of you know, multiple paragraphs and it's coherent and, uh, it seems like, Hey, like this, this, this thing has been crafted, right? Um, and that runway will get longer. Uh, so you, maybe you can get a chapter out, um, uh, as well. Um, that being said, that isn't so <laughs> back to sort of like, my philosophy with Pseudorite is like, it's not meant for you to push a button and it will create the entire novel for you. Even though I think maybe GPT-10, you know, yeah. one day can maybe do that to some degree. I'm more interested in the problem of how do you have a, a human interacting with a creative agent as a partner through them crafting, you know, a narrative um, and how do we be more um how do we incre increase the hu human control and creativity through that through that process yeah well i mean i think that has to be your goal james otherwise your goal is like the extinction of human art right like <laughs> you're right it's either ai is either a tool or the competition that it is in so many works of dystopian science fiction i don't I don't see a third way. It either doesn't exist, it's a it's a partner, or it's a replacement or competitor, it seems to me. Well, so, I mean, there is, I mean, there's an alternate uh, uh, sort of route, which is, like, what if there was a pseudo-reader, a pseudo-read.com, right? <laughs> and so, imagine, like, a Wattpad that could create stories wholesale, and therefore, it's not a, you know, it's not a tool, right, for, right. for writers. It's a tool for consumers to... Uh, to to just hey, I want the next. Uh, I want another book of like Harry Potter. Give me like another book. Um, I I mean I think, but I I I, I there's, there's an interesting argument that that has already happened because I think AIs have already are already with us. They're just called corporations. <laughs> uh, that that there are you know like whether you're looking at Hollywood or like you know big publishing houses that are uh sort of um. Tr telling like authors what trends to follow mm -hmm. or i think there are seeds of that uh that sort of i, I hesitate to use word formula but i mean it's sort of yeah. formula is like the, the it's like there's this, there's a lot of formulaic content already without ai and it's actually like could be even cheap more cheaply done than just like having gpt3 run lots of tokens because it's actually quite expensive um that there is a lot of content out there that is already written by quote unquote an artificial intelligence yeah. it's just that not a silicon artificial intelligence is an intelligence that is an amalgamation of human beings uh that is not under direct control of one person which is what you typically i think that 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 argument is sort of framed against like the literary lone wolf that is mm -hmm. you know writing their novel right so now the question is i think that maybe maybe your question what you're really asking is like well does it replace that lone wolf then in the future where um you have these literary AIs out there just publishing stuff and it's going on to New York uh, bestsellers. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I'm more, op I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I think that 
uh, that there will always be a demand for original human voices, uh, right? Um, I think one interesting thought experiment is what if you had read a favorite, you know, a new novel that came out and your favorite and you've been discussing it for years. And then later on, <laughs> it's revealed that it was written entirely, like the whole thing was written by an AI. Um, what would your reaction be? <laughs> yeah, so let me let me flip this this thought experiment around because there's a parallel thought experiment that we have been talking about in the field of literature for a while, which is, mm -hmm. can these models get so good that we can give them all of Faulkner and it can just start mm -hmm. churning out Faulkner novels? Because, you know, so, there's some of us, for someone like William Faulkner, is the greatest novelist of all time. Uh, I believe I've read all of his novels, reread most mm. of them. There's there's no more coming. And so there's this, <laughs> like, there's your thought experiment, which is like, could you fall in love with a writer who is actually just an AI? The other mm -hmm. version, it's kind of like those stories of people who um, are reanimated textually. Like if you go mm. through all of their mm. chats and emails and you can bring them back mm. to life so their loved ones can email them. Well, can, can GPT-3... Right read all of Faulkner, all of his articles, all of his journals, all of his journalism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then start writing more short stories set in, you know, 1920s Mississippi. <laughs> and I got to tell you, that sounds fun to me. I think I'm sitting <laughs> yeah. here in the, in the English department at UNC, and I have to hope that none of the, like, imminent scholars are walking by as they say, I would love to read a Faulkner story <laughs> written by a robot, because I think yeah. that would be a nightmare for them. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested in this in this sort of stuff and the possibilities. I'm also well aware yeah. that that's not what pseudo. I mean, pseudo right is not trying to bring about this dystopian or utopian yeah. future at this time. I want to make it clear that I understand that. Yeah, um, there's something interesting because, like, I wouldn't you think if Faulkner were still writing today that he might have changed <laughs> as a person, right? And his writing would change. So if you're sort of like time capsuling it, it's almost like you're, <laughs> it's not quite a seance, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's like the, the historical Faulkner artifacts. Can you just autocomplete that, right? Yeah. Uh, and maybe you would like that in the beginning, but then after a while, maybe it's like, oh, yeah. well, it's kind of like the nothing's really changed about it. You have an infinite uh essentially in, like skinner box of just like uh, all the uh, all the sensory like output that faulkner uh could do but you probably hit a limit um but the thing is like you could then then we're talking about like do we have an ai can we have an ai embody faulkner and have it also i don't know have a life yeah. <laughs> then we're talking about like a being right yeah. um but but i agree with you i, I think that how do i choose books to read I mean, I don't just look at bestseller lists. I don't know. I mean, but yeah. yeah, I just look at like I follow how I have my favorite writers and and also word of mouth from uh, my friends, right? Uh, so if you know this, and one of my favorite authors is Ted Chang. You know, if, whatever yeah. he writes, whatever short stories he writes, I will just read the next one, and I don't even have to question it. I'll just download it to my Kindle, right? Um, now, if I one day, if I if I realize that one day like Ted Chang was actually an AI. <laughs> Um, which is very meta because he writes about AI. Um, but I guess then I think the question may actually be, 
I think we feel like a little bit more visceral. Yeah, we feel like a little bit more betrayed that, like, uh, this this man who I thought was real is now this projection. Um, but I guess it comes down to context, right? Of how, you know, why are we reading this book? And of course, like, if this book were a nonfiction, like, first person account of refugees, you know, and we turn out that that was actually an AI walk off. Yeah, I would feel pretty bad about that. Uh, <laughs> um. I think, I mean, I think that there's also there's sort of a, there's an interesting parallel where, like, what if they're, you know, like, mystery lovers, you know, they just, like, they just so voracious, you know, just read the next mystery that comes out. And I've actually heard from, actually, some Amazon product managers that, that they really had, they were being asked to put in um request this mark that i've read this book on amazon because they have people who are the super readers who read like five novels a day or something and they just go through this and they can't keep track and i have to imagine like they would probably love just having mm-hmm. just more and more ai content to read if it were satisfying that need for the next mystery fix um so i think it comes down to like why are you reading the next thing and i, I think i would i, I mean i'm not I guess I would love to have more Ted Chang short stories, but I do want it to be him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I, I don't know. I maybe maybe that's a little further off topic, but well, yeah. No, uh, I mean, so to go to go back a little bit to where you started, um, which was another really interesting idea. Well, you started a couple answers back with the with the, that the corporation is an AI. I think this is absolutely right. Now, again, I'm going to say for the second time, I'm sitting here in an in an English department at a fancy research one university i'm i am conscious this it's a brutalist tower it's not an ivory tower <laughs> but i'm conscious of the like you know ivory tower um take of what i'm about to say but i'm about to say it sure, anyways sure. um i i mean there is a way that you can look at um the marvel movies some of which are excellent but they have slowly devolved into the kind of corporate box checking and formula mm-hmm. that you were talking about and especially yeah am all sorts of fiction that runs through amazon through the direct amazon publishing it does seem to be an almost purely like pattern recognition <laughs> process like it mm-hmm. it is not at the level of sophistication of you know i said faulkner you said ted chang i mean is there anyone better writing today than ted chang i don't i don't know <laughs> um and it does seem to me that it would that i i cannot imagine the kind of person who does the kind of writing that ted chang does surviving in a world in which all everything that i want to call literature has just become content and is being fed into these Uh, giant artificial intelligences called corporations, which are just designed Mm -hmm. to get us hooked on a certain flavor and then just Mm -hmm. feed us that flavor over and over again. Mm -hmm. The next thing I I would say is certainly some people would be afraid that that's exactly what pseudo-write is is designed Mm -hmm. to do. That that would be the, I think the ivory tower fear is that your project is to, you know, to feed this Amazon beast what it wants. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Ted Chang will be fine uh, yeah, specifically. Okay. Yeah. But I, I think, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think your worry is the next Ted Chang, yes. right? That his protege or you know the people people who he has inspired to write um, his particular 
kind of I, I, I yeah, I would say it's very, very crafted kinds of stories uh, versus capital C content trademarks. Yes, exactly. um, <laughs> I mean, I do think that we're in, well, I mean, arguably we're in that world already, right? Where yeah. there's this sort of this endless fountain of content uh, that is being pushed either on Netflix or um, uh, in Netflix, publication. I mean, Netflix yeah. is the other one that I was, that I was going to say is it does seem that like the goal of Netflix now is yes, capital C content and they even came out recently i'm sure you're following it and they were like we're not going to waste our time hiring great directors and giving them lots of money anymore that was a bunch Mm -hmm. of bullshit and it's like well that was the only thing that was good about netflix was that you hired great directors and gave them lots of money and that's (laughs) and that and that and now you're repudiating that right um and you know i i i do have that fear that the the as you know because power and capital accrete to these corporations that they will eventually um just well, what is the cost center? These directors mm-hmm. and writers, and you know, we're gonna uh, start having algorithms to not just uh, um, curate the content, which is kind of what is Netflix and cur- curate and seed the ideas of the content, but actually pierce the veil and uh, start, you know, actually creating the content wholesale. Um, I I think that I think that that genie was sort of out of the box for <laughs> right for them. Uh, I think that they will attempt to do that. Um, so I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't. I do not argue that that will happen in some capacity. Uh, either maybe it starts slowly, where it starts with story structures and kind of what they're doing today. It probably you know gain select reading. Like that's a very natural entry point where AIs can just start categorizing and figuring out which of uh, stories will resonate, and then moving up the chain. Um, as for pseudo right though, <laughs> um, I mean we. We we actually structured the company in a way where uh, we want to remain honest to God, like helping as a tool for writers. Um, and so we aren't. We actually uh, we did raise some seed seed funding, um, but we our goal is not to become like a unicorn Google Google company. <laughs> uh, and I think that you know I think if we were on that path, it's very easy to fall into. Well, then how do we service the large enterprises where, hey, they will want specific story structures injected mm-hmm. and like, how do we how do we increase the productivity of uh, our staff of writers for the studio by, oh by, by 30%, right? We can churn out more stuff, right? Um, so we're not actually, so we, we've set up the companies, we're not going to be like going in that ultra high growth mindset. Uh, we would love to be profitable with just servicing creative writers and if that doesn't become like a big series a series b kind of company uh we're okay with that so amit uh, my co-founder and i are very much on the same page with that um that being said that's talk right uh so in, in our in our actions though what we've been doing is uh we actually didn't launch we almost didn't even launch pseudo right i mean it was a it was kind of a side project that was born out of amit and i's writing practice our we, we were both folks who came from the tech world uh, I myself was most recently at Facebook, uh, deep in the bowels of the news Talk, feed. Talking about, uh, yeah, algorithms. Okay. Yeah, talking about algorithms. Um, and uh, we were taking a break and just learning the art of fiction and just sort of resetting kind of our careers in a bit. Um, and we just started using GPT-3 to see like, how oh, could this actually be helpful uh, to writers? So we actually just launched it sort of very word of mouth between uh, just our critique circles and also other writing groups. Um, 
and uh, it sort of grew very organically in that way. Like we didn't do too much on the marketing push until much later. Um, and I think that's kind of like, I, I think you touched on like, have we gotten a lot of like sort of backlash or yeah. controversy yeah. for uh, uh, basically pushing, you know, AI is like writing for you. Um, we're very careful. I think we've been very careful to introduce this and uh, have to shape the tool in a way that can be used mindfully. So that I, I, I'm thinking about that constantly, especially for new writers coming into pseudo write. Like, how do we make sure that you know they don't treat it like a slot machine? Because I right. think that a lot of times that that is the I think that is the the slot machine is kind of the road to I think just everything being wholesale created and uh, you're just like pumping out you know a lot of books without even looking without actively reading. So it comes down to like. So, for example, in our tool, like it doesn't just automatically append it into your text. We show it in cards, and even that kind of a small affordance in the UX means that we're encouraging you to actively read <laughs> the things that are coming out. The raw AI text is why I call it, um, because I think that in the in that world, like even if we're reading a lot of AI text as readers, as long as we're actively reading, engaging with the text. I think that's what really matters, even for the writer, because I think writing is reading. You know, it's the same kind of loop that is happening. Um, so we're, so that's that, that's kind of like my contribution. Um, one of the reasons I want to get into this is like, how can I also help shape AI to be the fo- you know kind of like a Photoshop for writers instead of um, you know it, you know just like it generates art wholesale and you just don't even consider it very much. Um, uh, and it's a big big task. I think that. You know, we haven't figured it out. You know, we're still we're still sort of in that journey, like learning from our users, and you know, we're talking to them every day to figure out like how do we mindfully roll out features. Yeah, I mean, I would say I I think that sounds fantastic, James. I would also say, you know, and this is where I get political. So uh, another colleague of Oscar Wilde's, who was in the sort of like anarchist milieu of the 19th century, named William Morris, and Morris unlike Oscar Wilde, was just completely against automation, wanted to blow up the factories, very, you mm. know, like, I'm sure the Unabomber loved William Morris. Um, <laughs> and he said the problem is that the goal of commerce is to make as much as possible while paying labor as little as possible. And it's very important. It's not mm. using as little labor as possible. The corporations are happy to use all sorts of human labor as long as they don't have to pay much for it. And uh, although I think William Morris's anti-technology views are go much too far, I think his description of whatever you want to call it, capitalism, is more or less correct. And so I think the fear is something like pseudo-right seems to me like a wonderful tool, but in a world in which Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, Marvel have their goal as the production of as much content with the least pay towards human beings as possible, something like pseudo right risks getting swallowed into that behemoth. I mean, everything risks getting swallowed into that behemoth. That's yeah. not that's mm-hmm. not unique to pseudo right. But it seems to me that the there are people who are going to shout, "Oh no, AI is taking the jobs of writers." And I would say, well, I mean, maybe the problem is that the jobs of writers are dependent on the whims of corporate capital. And in mm. that sense, mm-hmm. in that sense, I don't really have a good 
answer to the problems of Trudeau, right? I mean, I like the idea that you're trying mm-hmm. to not go full blown into corporate capitalism in that way and that you're responsive to your um, practitioners, let's call them your writers. Mm-hmm. Also, if it's not you, it'll be the next guy, right? Who just, <laughs> just, right. Who just is like gets the Amazon, gets acquired by Amazon or gets acquired by Facebook <clears throat> and then mm-hmm. just full blown ahead, capital C, content and that's just what the system rewards right i mean these and these language models are getting cheaper yeah. uh they're getting they they're getting more adept uh i mean you know and you know these large corporations i'm sure are working on their own language models <laughs> or their own fine-tuned versions of gpt3 so um that genie's definitely out of the bottle yeah. <laughs> i i just always it's funny because i was reading actually a bunch of articles um just sort of on this automation thing is written in 2019 <laughs> in, the, in the halcyon days of 2019 <laughs> where uh, there's so many endless words being written that were saying like oh well I could, uh, AI could write one sentence but, yeah, that's <laughs> all it can do it's not very good yet and, and of course it can't do images <laughs> <laughs> can't do videos it can't do audio so uh therefore let's not worry about it well, here we are in 2022, where <laughs> I think all these things are within probably grasp and mm-hmm. yeah, next, you know, well, now, actually. <laughs> yeah. so, um, I don't, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, have, I don't purport to have a solution for uh, corporate Capitalism. powers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not asking you to. Like, yeah, so. yeah, to, <laughs> to the production of like these large language models. Um, but I, I do think that the problem is a little bit like... Like take take the next Ted Chance. I'm mean, gonna keep using him as an example, sure. or the next like great literary writer. I you know I don't think that they will necessarily be producing to the whims of Amazon. Uh, I think there will always be voices that uh, are unique in that sense, but also not easily replicable in mass. Um, and I don't know like if. AI, it's hard. I don't want to make a prediction. But it's like, I, I think that AIs can do those sort of like capital C content sorts of things, but do they? Does it need like general intelligence to actually write a fully <laughs> beamed oh, like that's, that's interesting like a novel that is as unique as Ted Chiang uh, Faulkner is to the world, um, and is of I guess notable cultural well that's i don't want to also i don't want to put a moniker on that it's not notable cultural like artifact but it's uh um, yeah because i think that <laughs> there could be also notable cultural artifacts being created today by ai um i don't know i think that there were always because i think that those there are a lot of people who are a lot of literary writers out there who are not writing as their day job right mm-hmm. um that they are writing because they're passionate about their the story that they want to tell and I, I think that in a world where, you know, an AI can write a novel, it would not interest those people yeah. to just push a button and write it. They will still write the novel themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, and it seems to me that's absolutely the utopia that we could be moving towards. We would have to solve the problem of, you know, the resources of food and shelter and whatever. But if if the AI can churn out the kind of content that a lot of people enjoy by all means, let the AI churn out that sort of content. That seems fine to me. 
Um, that seems fine to me. And the problem right now is that there's people out there who could be uh, the next Ted Chang. And instead, they are writing crummy content for Netflix. By all means, let mm. the let the AI do that. Um, <laughs> that's just oh, that's interesting. that we just don't currently have the world set up where most people who want to do what Ted Chang can do can mm -hmm. pursue that dream. The other thing is the economist mm -hmm. Brad DeLong recently wrote in his Substack that um, he fed some one of these text generating models, I don't remember which one, uh, so the questions on his like short answer um, exam. And he said the AI got like a B. And he said, yeah. well, I, I don't know what to <laughs> I don't know what to do now. And my response to Brad would be like, this is great. If you were asking your students to do something that AI could do, you probably weren't asking your students to do the right thing. It was mm -hmm. it was basically like a three sentence, like Wikipedia level answer to these identifications of economic concepts. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that I used to do with my students in my English classes. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> like, like literally like a Wikipedia bot could do this work. Clearly, mm -hmm. I need to ask my students to do something else. So this is the good version of pseudo write is all the kind of writing that either needs to be done, but is not exciting to do, or doesn't need to be done necessarily, but people might enjoy doing, we can automate, or people can do it in partnership with tools like PseudoWrite, as long as it frees us, those of us who want to do something else, to do something else. The danger is if, you know, if is if that's the only game in town, if if pressing the button for Amazon, and then editing what the machine comes out becomes the only game in town, whereas if we can mm -hmm. get all those people running around doing whatever they want, trying to become the next mm -hmm. Ted Chang, making a garden, forming the next pseudo right, then mm -hmm. then this technology is is freeing, is liberatory. Yeah, I mean we do. Yeah, so we have a lot of writers on our platform that are um, just say like, hey, I hate writing dialogue. Yeah, I just let, or I write really crappy dialogue. I don't yeah. find joy in that part of the craft. I love plotting, though. I love descriptions. So I let write help me form better dialogue, or at least get the get the ball rolling, so I can just like do that. Or I'm terrible at writing like fight scenes or sex yeah. scenes. You know, and you know, write can yeah, it can help you kind of like plant the seeds, so you don't have to, you know, wring your hands so much about like ah, oh, you know, I I want to just get past this part. Or even just like if people, uh, or if you just want to sort of like fill in a little bit and then you want to come back to it. So in that sense, it could be used as, as a, that sort of assistant, right? Where, or or in like in Hollywood writers rooms where you have the one person mm. who's like really good at crime thrillers, knows everything about it, right? Or one, that person that's really good at dialogue and then you pass it on to them to help uh, shape that particular part of the story. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that is a very sound use case that's happening today. Um, like for example, my, myself, I'm not that great at description. So I <laughs> have it give me some ideas of like how to describe this rose, you know, and it can do that in different styles and things like that. Uh, but I myself like love writing dialogue, you know, so I would never use Sudorite for that because I find joy, um, in creating these like, <laughs> simulacrum, like conversations with people in my head, right? Um, so there is this push and pull of, I think that it's sort of an adjacent point to this is this push and pull of like, we don't really want the AI to take over the stuff that we enjoy mm -hmm. doing, right? Um, 
uh, and if you enjoy plotting, you enjoy that sort of like creative aspect. Like for, by all means, like you should. I I would love for the tool to be to get out of the way, right, and just let you do that, right? Um, so it, it's interesting because like yeah, does that liberate more more Ted chance <laughs> uh, in the world? Um, maybe <laughs> maybe it will uh get them to completion for their novel, like you know uh, that they couldn't complete before. Um, or at least uh, spur the idea and like, you know, they unblock them in some way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to me that there's no reason why it why it wouldn't. And you know, yeah, technology technology is a is amoral. If if these are go if this stuff is going to be used to make the world a, a worse place, that's because people are using it to make the world a worse place. You certainly, mm -hmm. uh, and I think all the listeners of this podcast are not interested in hearing that like art is some pure and perfect thing that is being destroyed by AI. I think this is the wrong, uh, uh, the wrong podcast for that, for that set of ideas. Yeah. And, and also back to your point about the, uh, um, uh, the reading comprehension, right? Yeah. Essentially, like I think GPT three can pass the SAT reading comprehension yeah. test, which is you know kind of the the style of question that you're asking. Which yeah. Is like, yeah, give me the bullet points of the things that were in this passage of text, and I've experimented with it. And I can't. Yeah. It can do that pretty well. Uh, conversely, it can probably also grade the papers for you. Yes. <laughs> so, so then are we in the world where? Students are using it to, to write the answers, and then the professors could then use the AI to also grade the answers. Like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, see, see, that actually that actually sounds great to me, James, because then it sounds like the students and I could then go get a coffee, right? Like, right, and do what you want to do, and then and then maybe one of them can say, you know, I I've been looking for something to read, and I can say like, oh, check out this Ted Chen guy. Maybe you should maybe you should write like him. That's my dream. Where you know, and it would be better if we just didn't have to go through the forms of assigning assigning things. But you know, that's the that's the idea. If you've got human beings doing the kind of work that gpt3 can do right now unassisted you're probably wasting their time mm -hmm. but gpt3 in the form of things like pseudo right could be really exciting tools for human beings to do more interesting things and if we reach the point where ai can write a, a novel all by itself that's a whole nother that's a whole yeah. different set of questions and concerns. <laughs> and if that happens in 2027, you can come back on the podcast and talk about the, the singularity <laughs> we'll <talk> about the... <laughs> that we've reached. Yeah, or maybe uh, the AI will just generate this podcast <laughs> between Graham. Conversation between Graham and James where they oh, have an incisive conversation about the implications of AI taking over content. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's totally well, doable. Like, it's not there yet, definitely. But I think this is the kind of conversation that it could, in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, so I did, related to this, I did, I, I have also been tinkering in just using GPT-3 directly to uh, kind of uh, just create artificial conversations about stories that I'm writing. So oh, I oh, wrote a set of short stories called Singularity, where I write a short story and as specific junctures, I have GPT-3 just, you know, give me a few choices and I pick a choice, you know, of like the plot point. And then what I do then is actually drop into a mode where I've been able to elicit GPT-3 to have a conversation about the choices it's making. Why did it make that choice? And interrogate it as if it were a, you know, <laughs> anthropomorphic, uh, <laughs> silicon-based being. 
uh, obviously there's a bit of a uh, a bit of a you know a, a show there happening uh, with that um but i think it represents that piece i think it represents what could actually be just automatic in the next like a few years from now mm-hmm. um yeah whether whether you're talking about just like chat agents in general uh but some of the answers that it's able to provide to me were quite informative and, <laughs> uh and quite witty and you know and it, you can't help and when you use these systems to uh have a theory of mind because <laughs> that's what we keep doing just have it around it right even though i know that it's not <laughs> a conscious being um so it, it, i think it's a slippery slope because then then like at what point does the wikipedia style questions get even more incisive and more creative and more the things that in the, the scope of the things that GPTX will be able to do uh, increases. Is there a point of diminishing returns where it will, will have, it will, will have to get basically like get to the, the quote unquote singularity yeah. <laughs> in order to get to that point? I don't know. Um, it, but it is definitely a little disconcerting, like what that point is like, is there, is there a point of no return there where it 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 does be able to envelop any question yeah. uh, that you're giving, and then what it goes then that will go into your general intelligence <laughs> podcast. But um, uh, but the, I mean the fact that we are even when I'm <laughs> interfacing with these systems that I think about this is already proof enough that like we're we're sort of on that trajectory, yeah, right? The question are. is like, does it tail off at this? I I think the architecture in these of these things do need to change um before it can get to that next level we will probably see diminishing returns with this particular model that gpt3 is using um it's not given uh that we are going to attain that if we're going to if it, uh attain like general intelligence or like even the next level um i think that will require a bunch of non-trivial work and insights that we have yet to uncover as researchers in, in machine learning that's at least Slightly off topic. I don't know. That, I don't no, know how no, we got no completely on topic. I was just going to say that's at least work that I don't have to do. Thank goodness. Somebody else. <laughs> I was just walking by the natural language processing lab at UNC and I was like, I should talk to these people. But that's a that's a podcast for another day. Um, last thing, James, this has been such a fun conversation. If someone's interested in pseudo right, what should they do? How can they uh, check you, you out? Can, yeah, you can try it out. It's at S-U-D-O-W-R-I-T-E dot com um and uh yeah you can just sign up and start using it uh and you know we are tuned specifically to narrative writing so if you're giving it a try like give it that short story or novel that you haven't been able to finish and just see if uh see if you can have the uh, ai help uh give you a kick in the butt to, <laughs> to write more <laughs> words there i mean that that would make me very happy if i like spurred on more people just write more <laughs> Yeah, more people write more. Good, good. But you know, let's let's not let's not take writing away from the human beings. Let's let's help people write more. Sounds wonderful. Yes. So yeah, actually, the corporation name behind Pseudowrite is Human Plus Plus Incorporated. So that's uh, you know humans at the center, but plus plus augmented by uh, technology. And there's a C plus plus joke there, I presume. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your time, James. It was such a pleasure. Thanks, Graham.